Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1kcradio.org. Today we're talking about puppy mills and the Horrible Hundred Report with Cody Atkinson of the Humane Society of the United States. That and more on this episode of Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe. Keeping you on your toes is what we're doing. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, you know, just some script mix-ups, no big deal. Uh, how are you doing, Sierra? I ate my breakfast, snack, and lunch all within the last hour, so I'm not feeling too hot. Okay, all But right. we're going to power through, and this is going to be a great episode. So, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I had a nice light lunch of, you know, ramen noodles, like normal. Two cups of coffee this morning. Two cups of coffee this morning. Um, ready to go. Ready, ready and raring. So the Humane Society of the United States just released their annual Horrible Hundred list looking at puppy mills in the United States. We're lucky enough to get um, HSUS Missouri State Director Cody Atkinson on the show to talk about it here in a bit. But first, a little pet news. Out of 50 states, there are only two that have banned the declawing of cats, New York in 2019, and now, most recently, Maryland. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan signed a bill into law in late April that will go into effect in October. It prohibits veterinarians from performing the surgery unless it's, quote, necessary for therapeutic purpose, and those who violate it could face up to $1,000 in fines, which, in my opinion, doesn't seem like nearly enough Declawing is the amputation of the last bone of each toe, which is equivalent to amputating the first knuckle on a human hand. It's a major surgery that can cause immense pain, risk of infection, and permanently change the way a cat walks, which can also lead them to be in pain for the rest of their life. Folks do it to eliminate the risk of being scratched or having their cat tear up their furniture, but studies have proven that what it actually does is worsen behavioral issues. They are more likely to bite when they feel threatened or urinate around the house because cat litter can irritate the paws of those who have been declawed. Kudos to Maryland for looking out for our kitty friends, and we hope many other states follow in their footsteps soon. Yeah, it would be really nice to see just like dominoes. Yeah, I'm like, when I scroll through Facebook, I only want to see headlines like this Yeah, because yeah. that just makes my heart feel good. Yeah, it really does. You know, and and we talked to Dr. Eliza Sundahl about declawing back yeah. in the day, maybe 20 episodes or so ago. Isn't that crazy? Number. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Um, but go back. If you don't, if you don't know about declawing, you know, look it up, um, mm-hmm. listen to the episode. Um, it really, we're to the point now where it causes enough problems for cats that you know, there are places that do reconstruction surgery on the paws of cats that have been declawed to try and minimize the mm-hmm. amount of pain that they're going to endure for the rest of their lives. So I wonder if there's like such thing as like nail implants, like, or is, like doing you know what I'm talking there? about? I don't know. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. I'd be, what if I just created this idea right, and gonna, somebody's going to steal it? No, I need no, no, to no, patent no. it. No, I'm, de- no, I'm editing this out and taking it. Um, no. <laughs> okay. No, but honestly, when I was little, I, 
both of our cats were declawed, but I feel like it was more normalized in the early 2000s. Oh, for sure. And so I do see a difference Mm -hmm. in my cats growing up and the cat that I have now, but it really just comes down to training and correcting that behavior because, I mean, you wouldn't ask a human to chop off their first knuckle. No. You wouldn't. I mean, I might. (laughs) It depends on the human. Okay, okay. Uh, next up, a new study out of the Netherlands proves something that we already assumed was true. A shelter is a stressful place for a dog. The hormone cortisol is often called the stress hormone because it gets produced after an adrenaline fight or flight response to keep us alert in a stressful situation. Researchers at Utrecht University studied the amount of cortisol in the hair of shelter dogs at four different points at intake, six weeks into the stay in the shelter, and then six weeks and six months after adoption. What they discovered is that nearly universally, there was more cortisol present in the dogs during their stay at the shelter. In addition, smaller dogs appear to have produced more cortisol than larger dogs. What this shows is that no matter the shelter, no matter how much care we take to treat dogs well, the shelter is still a scary, difficult place for them to be. Yes, I agree. And it correlates with the pet news that we talked about last episode with that little pity. Probably wasn't little, but little in my heart. Um, mm-hmm who really benefited from that princess tent yeah. inside of his kennel. It's just like a calm, safe place. And I'm sure if you were to compare the cortisol in his hair right, that you when would... he was out mm-hmm. with all of the other dogs versus in the princess tent in a secluded area, I bet you you could tell the difference. I bet. I bet you could. I wonder what mine is. I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm not stressed or anything. No, <laughs> no. Uh-uh. When my child is screaming and yanking at my pants because he wants me to carry him, it's probably like through <laughs> the roof. But anyways. Your hair is 90% cortisol at this point. Um, <laughs> probably is. Okay, folks, before we head into this interview, we want to let you know that we're going to be discussing graphic content about the conditions of puppy mills in Missouri and the U.S. that involve cases of of animal cruelty and neglect, by all means, pause the episode here. If you wish not to continue, you're not going to hurt our feelings. And here we go. Society of the United States has been fighting for animal rights since 1954. They work at a national and global level to create a more humane society, which includes banning things like trophy hunting, ending cosmetic animal testing, improving the lives of farm animals, and the topic we'll be discussing today, putting a stop to puppy mills. Please be aware that this is not going to be an easy conversation. We're going to be talking with Cody Atkinson, HSUS Missouri State Director, about the conditions of puppy mills and the larger ethical problems they create. Without further ado, Cody, welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. You're the HSUS State Director of Missouri, and that's a title that comes with a ton of responsibility considering that Missouri has the most puppy-selling dealers than any other state, according to this year's Horrible 100 report, which is something we'll talk about here in a little bit. But first, could you tell us a little bit more about your job and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So as the State Director of the Humane Society of the United States here in Missouri, um, I've wear many hats. Um, My primary job would be to work with uh, lawmakers in Jefferson City uh, to try and pass or stop uh, 
uh, bills related to animal welfare. Um, so one big one that we were pushing this year that uh, looks like it's probably going to fall short, so we'll we'll try it again next year, uh, is the banning of breed-specific legislation like pit bull bans. Um, but other uh, responsibilities include working with law enforcement officials on animal cruelty investigations, uh, providing training to shelters and resources to shelters, uh, among you know just the general answering of, of various emails and inquiries. Um, would like to note that uh, just in case people are confused, there is a bit of a distinction between uh, HSUS, where I work, and maybe your local Humane Society shelter. Uh, we are different organizations, although we do support the great work uh, through that training and resource uh, providing uh, that the local shelters do. Yeah, thank you for that clarification. So there's a lot to cover when it comes to puppy mills. So let's just start by having you tell us what exactly a puppy mill is and how they work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so sadly, Missouri has made the uh, horrible hundred top of the list for the 10th year in a row for puppy mills and puppy mills. Uh, for those unfamiliar or may have just heard the term thrown out there, uh, they're inhumane, high-volume dog breeding facilities uh, that churn out the puppies for profit uh, rather than uh, taking recognition of the unique needs that come with puppies and dogs in general. Uh, they ignore those needs uh, of the pups and their mothers. Um, so they often are sick or unsocialized, injured, uh, among a variety of other issues. And so do they then get in connection with pet stores who sell those puppies? Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, Petland is still out there yes. um, selling these puppies. We've been able to connect quite a few from this year's list directly to Petland sales. Um, now, Petland will uh, deny those claims, even though we, we have very clear receipts of those uh, purchases. Um, but what they will often do is they will use brokers, so sort of a, a middleman or middlewoman, gotcha. um, who will buy the dogs from uh, these puppy mills and then sell to Petland. Uh, and because the brokers are clean of these violations, uh, Petland can kind of wipe their hands of it. Yep, unfortunately so. Um, but I've worked in animal welfare for a couple of year now, years now, and I've never seen a puppy mill with my own eyes, which honestly is something I'm okay with because you hear and read so many stories about how terrible the conditions are. Uh, like just reading through the Horrible 100 report today, it's just not how you want to start your morning. It's heartbreaking stuff. But it's a topic that we need that needs to be addressed, which is why we're here. So could you tell us a little bit more about the conditions these poor dogs have to endure most likely for the duration of their lives or until they're no longer profitable, meaning they can no longer reproduce? Yeah. Um, so if anybody reads the Horrible 100 report, I would advise taking it in doses. It can um, really cause kind of an array of emotions, anger, sadness, um, just general disappointment. Um, but the conditions are pretty horrific uh, so you'll go to something like uh, what's very evident, and that is malnourishment. So you'll see the protruding ribs um, or the uh, kennels or crates, sometimes wire crates that have several wires poking up, uh, will be covered in feces and urine, uh, not cleaned uh, very often, if at all. Uh, water bowls that are empty or are full of feces and urine, 
Um, and then you'll go to the general status of the animal itself. Um, so you'll see things like cherry eye that is not being taken care of. Um, in addition to that emaciation, you may see matted fur, uh, which is very dangerous in that it can cause various infections along with just being uh, generally very annoying to that dog. Um, things like broken limbs, um, running eyes, seizures, um, just a, a whole wide array of things that are really rough, um, all the way up to finding, uh, unfortunately, dead animals that have no record of why uh, they were either killed or uh, euthanized. And so by law, do these pets have to be up to date on vaccines and receive that veterinary care? Yes. So um, they are supposed to have full medical records, receive their vaccines. Um, Unfortunately, that just doesn't happen in an industry that focuses uh, exclusively on profit. The uh, expense of that veterinary care cuts into that profit. Um, So a a lot of the times you'll find that these breeders are giving expired medication or medication and incorrect doses meant for other dogs um, or or just a, a total lapse or no recording of medical care. Um, so it's it's pretty rough to see. Um, the state does go out there and inspect these facilities, uh, but unfortunately it is very expensive to try and prosecute these cases uh, and especially expensive to try to shut them down and then rehome uh, these animals. So uh, hands are tied just a little bit there and we, we hope that you know, for the 10th year in a row, the state legislature takes recognition of that uh, and provides law enforcement, the Department of Agriculture uh, and the attorney general's office with proper uh, mm-hmm. resources to prosecute these cases. And is there an average as to how many dogs a puppy mill can have? Like what's uh, typical? So, yeah, it's not really an average. Um, they can range to from uh, a few dozen to a few hundred. Um, I grew up on a cattle operation in Odessa, um, and dogs are, are not cattle. Um, you can put a cow on pasture, and they're fine all day, every day, so long as they have that grass and water. Um, but anybody who has had a dog knows that they require um, a lot of work, especially puppies. Yes. Um, so when you get to talking about, um, you know, more than just a couple um, and into those dozens or even hundreds, uh, it is, you know, near impossible, if not impossible, uh, to properly care for those animals, give them the exercise, uh, that recreation, that socializing, um, and you'll wind up with dogs that are not properly socialized um, and just don't act like puppies, uh, which is really sad to see an animal that should be jumping all over you, licking your face, just excited and warm, um, just terrified of people uh, and sick. The exact opposite, yeah. So what happens to the mama dogs when they're no longer profitable? Um, well, that that also varies. Um, so they, they can be euthanized um, or killed by the owner. Um, sometimes they'll continue to live the, their lives out uh, in those cages, um, which they are kept in and breeded repeatedly, um, just back to back to pump out mm-hmm. these animals. Um, so really, 
sad lives for those mothers um, that don't get to enjoy being with their puppies, certainly don't get to have that time. If you've ever seen a mother dog around puppies, they teach them how to play, how to interact with people. Um, So just a, a terrible situation for these mothers. And it's tiring too. Like, I mean, I'm comparing puppies to children, but I have a one year old at home and I like, I can't imagine having five or six and being in a cramped space. That just has to be so stressful. Um, but you touched on some of the issues that these dogs can have, but is it true that they can pass them on to their puppies who are then sold in pet stores? Yeah, so you'll see a lot of that um, nature versus nurture. So um, when you have animals uh, like a dog that are highly um aware of their surroundings and adapt to those surroundings um, accordingly, uh, those sorts of uh, stresses and anxieties will be passed on to that animal uh, because that's how they're taught. Those are the conditions they are raised Mm -hmm. in. And is there such thing as a responsible breeder? And if so, how are they different from puppy mills? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm glad you asked this question because we, um, you know, we often get pigeonholed at HSUS um, as really wanting to take down um, or shame all breeding operations, and that's just not the case. Um, so what you'll see in a responsible breeder is someone who welcomes you to their home, wants you to see the way that these uh, puppies are brought up, how the mother is treated, um, <laughs> wants to tell you all of these unique stories about the character of the animals, is you know more than happy to have you over, um, has plenty of space for those animals to roam around, play, be dogs, socialize with uh, people and other animals, um, and just has a a real care and passion for the general welfare um, and and isn't, you know, often willing to take maybe the first bit if they don't feel comfortable uh, with where that puppy is going. They they care very deeply about that animal and the the welfare of that animal uh, is priority number one. And you just recently released 2022's Horrible 100 report. And so I have a few questions about your findings. The first one, well, obviously the state of Missouri alone makes up nearly a third of the puppy selling dealers in the Horrible 100 report. Why are there so many and does it have anything to do with the agriculture industry? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, So the Horrible 100 list, obviously, is not going to be comprehensive. There are uh, a lot more than just 100 puppy mills across the country. Uh, Missouri actually does a pretty good job with record keeping on this industry. Um, So mandated um, reports from the Missouri Department of Agriculture and and folks actually go out there and inspect them. uh, And those are what we can then request from the state. but it's it's tough to say why it is so prevalent in Missouri. Um, it, it would just be sort of a lack of real enforcement on getting them shut down. If you are uh, selling, let's say, a French bulldog right now goes for well over six, seven, eight thousand dollars, and your fine is maybe a few hundred dollars, uh, that's certainly not going to dissuade you from continuing that cruel practice. And is there an area of Missouri where puppy mills are highly concentrated? Not really. Um, kind so of all over the place. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it is very scattered across the state. Um, 
uh, every corner and crevice of the state uh, has a, a puppy mill in it. And then lastly, has there been any progress at a state or national level? I think I know the answer to th- the answer to this because I read the report, but I'm going to let you take it over. Yeah, absolutely. So we continue to grow momentum on the Puppy Protection Act at the federal level, uh, which would really go a long ways in shutting down uh, this industry. Um, If anybody out there wants to call their uh, U.S. senator or representative and encourage them to sign on and support the Puppy Protection Act, that would be wonderful. Uh, As far as at the state level, um, the attorney general has done um, an admiral admirable job of prosecuting these cases. But again, um, the minor fines and the cost of prosecution um, are kind of a combination that does not um, stop or discourage uh, folks from uh, continuing in this industry. And uh, what you'll see a lot of the times is if somebody gets their license pulled, um, they will then just have a spouse or a son or a relative take over that license yeah. at that same facility uh, and just pass hands. So uh, it would be, be great to um, have some level of enforcement that removes those kennels and that infrastructure needed uh, to run these operations or shut down that address, um, something that is a little more solid and getting them permanently shut down. And so the big question, how do puppy mills still even exist and what kind of work does your team have to do to combat the laws in place that protect them? Yeah, so so long as there is profit to be made and pet land stores and online retailers are still willing to uh, turn a blind eye to this issue, um, they are going to uh, continue being in business. Um, so it is the responsibility of our team primarily, uh, of course, to inform folks, um, to make the case that we need advocacy um, at every level uh, to get this industry shut down permanently. Um, but beyond that, uh, what we will do is if there is a case where they are uh, finally able to get one of these Uh, mills shut down. We can provide folks that go out there and take the animals and transfer them to shelters. Uh, Humane Society of Missouri, who again, we're not uh, directly associated with, does a wonderful job of doing uh, exactly that, taking these animals from these horrid conditions and getting them to a new home or a shelter facility, uh, providing them with medical care and the like. Uh, So we really appreciate um, anybody doing that sort of work. And what are some things that folks who are listening can do to help, you know, move that process along? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is really wonderful with my background in advocacy. Um, write to your uh, state representative and state senator request that they um, read this report and they uh, fight to Uh, fund law enforcement and the attorney general's office and the Department of Agriculture in a way that will allow them to uh, fully prosecute the violators of um, the laws on the books Um, and and then vote for folks who are going to be uh, supportive of these sorts of issues Um, and really be out there and aware so you can share it on your social media. Anything along those lines would also be uh, extremely helpful in just getting folks aware uh, of the industry, especially uh, its rampant abuse in the state of Missouri. 
Well, Cody, thank you so much again for making the time to chat with us today on Pet Resource Radio. On behalf of all of us here, I commend the work you do daily to help put an end to puppy mills. So keep up the fantastic work. Thank you so much and have a good rest of your day. I appreciate this. May 20th is National Rescue Dog Day, so let's chat about rescues a bit. As we were talking about earlier in the episode, the shelter isn't exactly the most calming place for a dog. But what makes rescue dogs magical is the fact that there are so many wonderful companions waiting for their forever home, and you have the power to give them that home. Approximately 3.3 million dogs enter shelters each year. Each of those rescue dogs is like a little present waiting to be unwrapped. Some of them have been through tough times. They may have been abandoned or abused. They may have lost their owner to illness or death. Or they may have overcome the odds going from the street to the shelter. And what will you find with a rescue dog? A loving companion. A thankful, grateful heart that wants nothing more than to show you how much it cares. A calming presence that naturally lowers your blood pressure. So how can you show your support for rescue dogs? Here's a few different ways. Volunteer at a shelter. You can be a part of the rehabilitation of a dog that's looking for a forever home. You can read to them, play them music. You can take them for walks and give them socialization and make the shelter a not-so-scary place for them because they know there are good people here to help. Or make a donation to a shelter or rescue so they can continue to provide the best care for all the pups waiting for their forever homes. Consider adopting a rescue dog if you have the room in your life for one, or consider fostering. That's a real way to make a big difference in a rescue dog's life, giving them time and space away from the shelter environment where they can relax and be themselves. This is often when the shelter or rescue learns what the dog's personality is really like, which helps them get adopted faster. And lastly, spay and neuter your pets. It's part of our mission, so of course we're going to mention it. But it also happens to be true that getting your pets fixed decreases the number of pets looking for homes because a fixed dog can't contribute to pet overpopulation. Rescue dogs are great and wonderful, and there are oh so many of them. Make room in your life for a shelter dog. The rewards are immeasurable. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to Cody Atkinson for being on the show today. If you'd like to check out the work the Humane Society of the United States is doing or learn more about Puppy Mills so that you can help, you can check them out at the Humane Society, not the Humane Society, at humanesociety.org. As for us, we're a nonprofit keeping pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review to help more folks find us on our path to fortune and glory. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for the latest info. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as Sir Walter Scott said, the misery of keeping a dog is his dying so soon. But to be sure, if he lived for 50 years and then died, what would become of me? Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, written and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, recorded, edited, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. Dave Shapiro. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries.